How do I describe how to subscribe? Let me count the ways. With one easy tap on your PC or on your Mac, I'm pretty sure they have a podcast app. Click the button on your phone to hear my advice and my daughter groan. So my listener, to really be a dear, hit subscribe and I'll be right here. (laughs) Yep, that is my mother making up a poem for you about technology. And I'm your host, Rebecca. And this is Advice for Mom. All summer, we've been exploring what it means to make progress. Whether that progress is professional, personal, or creative. Now we're going to explore what it means to make progress last over the long haul. On this episode, we'll answer questions sent in by these listeners. An entertainer not so easily entertained, recently rejected, and a bride with a business. Each question will get its own expert advice. We'll hear from a rock and rollin' engineer, an actress you'll recognize from TV, and the founder of a startup. And from Pittsburgh's favorite podcast psychologist, with over 35 years of experience as a family therapist. And the most accurate genetic predictor I know of what I will look like in another 35 years, my mom. And then you'll hear me challenge that lady with the same cheekbones as me with some hard-hitting questions about her advice. We call this game Mother-Daughter Pickleball. In honor of my mama's favorite sport. And it only has two rules. The first is that you remember that this podcast is for informational purposes only. It's not intended for diagnosis or treatment of any medical or psychological condition. All treatment decisions should be made in partnership with your health professional. And rule number two, we're not moving on until someone sings. Stay tuned at the end of the episode to find out which big life question we'll be tackling next. So mom, I think I've told you, I I think I've told you about how I exercise really early in the morning, right? Yes. It's amazing. You know why I do that, right? Uh, well, I think there are probably a lot of reasons. <laughs> Good answer. It, no, no, it's it's not. So it's not just for the typical reasons of health and building muscle. It's also because of my exercise buddy, Ginny. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yes, you've talked about her. And I don't know if I've told you this about her, but she's very accomplished. I think you have mentioned that. Yeah, she's the she's the CEO of an energy company. Wow. She's also, she's having an extremely busy summer. Sure. Since this episode is kind of rounding out our summer of exploring what it means to live a creative life, mm-hmm. I thought we could start this episode with a discussion that happened between me and Ginny back in June. Oh, what a wonderful thing. And then we're going to hear a little more from her at the end of the episode. A uh, b- uh, before and after. That's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fascinating stuff from Magnificent Friends. Siri, what day is it? It's Wednesday, June 28th, 2017. Siri is our proof. (laughs) So, Ginny, can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? I am the founder and CEO of a startup focused on solving big energy problems. So when I go to work every day, I don't think about making a bunch of money. I think about ways that we're going to solve big energy 
crises, ways to reduce carbon on the planet and toxic levels of chemicals that we have everywhere. But that sounds like the kind of thing that might require some money. Is that right? It does require money. We are definitely a high-growth startup, and we are at the mercy of great investors to come our way. So this summer, you have to raise many millions of dollars. Yep. And get married. Yep. Um, I am also planning a wedding and marrying the love of my life. So I am very much hoping that come to, you know, wedding day festivities that I'm I'm able to turn it off. You know, as a startup founder, all of your work fits into everything you do constantly. There's not a day off. It's just sort of maybe a little bit less. So that's going to definitely be a big shift for me. And it's one that needs space to flourish and is really important to foster. So I don't know how to do it. And that's what I'm here to ask for is the advice around is really how to to get there. Well, Ginny, we'll check back with you at the end of the summer, which is conveniently through the magic of podcasting at the end of this episode. But first, we're going to answer some listener questions. This first question comes from someone who is seeking creative resilience for the long haul when all they're hearing from the outside world is no. Dear Mama B, Six months ago, I finished my first novel. Yay, me. And I was, and I am, proud of that accomplishment. After years of writing on weekends and my time off, I was more than ready to start the process of looking for an agent to represent my book to publishers. I knew this part of the process is a bit like matchmaking, in terms of finding and soliciting an agent who is as excited to represent my book as I was to write it. But as the rejections roll in, one after another, I find myself struggling to maintain the confidence and conviction I had for my work when I was writing it. I have to fight hard against the perfectionist in me, who immediately feels a sense of shame and failure when I get another rejection letter from an agent. And even though I still believe there's an agent and readers out there for this book, I've found myself a bit paralyzed in terms of my creative process. After weeks of feeling rather depressed about my prospects, I had the realization that this is the most rejection I have ever experienced in my life. On the one hand, recognizing the inherent privilege of that situation, puts this whole thing in perspective for me. But on the other hand, I feel stuck. So my question is two-pronged. How do I handle rejection as a creative person who is also a perfectionist? And how do I grapple with that sense of something being incomplete? Signed, recently rejected. Well recently rejected, I thought that it would be helpful for you to hear from someone who's made it through the ups and the downs of another vicious creative industry. I am pleased to introduce you to Michaela Watkins. She is the star of Hulu's show Casual, and she used to be on Saturday Night Live. She's also been in so many movies and TV shows, you might think that she has never faced rejection. But she's here to tell you that she understands. I love this letter very much. 
everything that this writer is saying is so universally and commonly felt that I feel like I know them. What I first want to say about this letter is congratulations. I mean, anytime anybody tells me they wrote a book, I'm immediately like, wow, it's really, really, really hard to have the discipline to see an idea through. So of course, like the feeling of that somebody isn't embracing it with open arms in the same way and just patting you on the back and going, as my friend Annie Serdich likes to say, <laughs> she goes in, she pitches a show, and then she says, where was my parade? And, and it's not shameful. That's a natural feeling. I can't tell you how much time I spend on the phone with people talking about this exact thing. And by people, I mean my good friends who have a feeling of rejection and don't really know where to put it until they process it out loud with a friend that they can't really move past it. And rejection is something that you have to cultivate a relationship with. I have a really strong relationship with it because I've experienced it a lot and I continue to. Like I said, you talk about how you are having trouble moving on from this. You can't get excited about anything else until you have some sort of completion with this. That is the perfect time to become really good at rejection. Rejection is going to tell you that you're no good and you can't do these things and you were never really good in the first place. And maybe your book wasn't that great to begin with. It's going to lie to you a lot. So what rejection forces you to do is to really go inside and figure out what is the truth. Or rejection forces you to move on because this maybe isn't supposed to be completed right now. Maybe you're the next Elizabeth Gilbert and your second book makes everybody read your first book. You have no idea what your arc of your life is going to be. All you know is that you wrote a book and in your estimation, it's probably a really great book or you wouldn't have written it. Learning how to move on to the next thing is the most important thing that you can do. You have to get in front of it. See, what I do after I have any kind of audition, I've developed something that I ceremoniously do after every audition and I take my sides and I throw them in the garbage can as soon as I walk out the door. I'm signaling to myself that what just happened was what I wanted to do in that room, and the outcome doesn't matter. It's like out of my hands. I can't control if anybody hires me. I can't control what happens once I get the job. I can't control any of those things. All I can control is what I did in that audition, and now it's over. And now I'm ready for the next thing. When I did Saturday Night Live, I did one season. I had a great time. Such a such an exciting, exciting year. And something that I really never thought was going to happen to me. And when my contract didn't get renewed, I had no idea why. And to this day, I don't really have any idea why. But it didn't. And I had to make a very real decision. Was I going to be someone who was going to define myself as I got cut off from Saturday Night Live after one season? Or was Saturday Night Live going to be a part of my life? Was it going to be one of the many, many things I end up doing in this life? You can't be defined by the fact that you wrote a book and you know you tried to get it published and you, you hit roadblocks. That's something that happened, but that's not your career and that's not who you are. But I do understand the sense of incompleteness. It's a real thing and you can't let something just sort of have frayed endings and just linger out there. It just feels so incomplete. But when you, I feel really crappy about something, I support someone else. So 
sometimes we think there's only enough goodness and accolades to go around to a few people and it's limited. But what happens is when I feel really cruddy, I go see somebody else's show or read somebody else's thing and then tell them how good I think it is. And I feel like it does a couple of things. One, it inspires me and to be constantly inspired is really important because rejection can sort of close us off, whereas inspiration sort of blossoms us and opens us up. So I think it's really good to counter those feelings with taking in colleagues' work. When I got to SNL, I had a sketch that went really well at the table read, and then it went so, so, so at the dress rehearsal, and I think it was cut, and it probably didn't make it into the live show. And one of the producers said to me, he made me watch Will Ferrell's first sketches on their on their server that they have. And I was watching them and and I was like, oh God, this is so funny. Why am I watching this? And he goes, is anybody laughing? And I was like, no, nobody's laughing. And he said, because they didn't know who he was yet. So he was as funny as the Will Ferrell that you know right now, but nobody was reacting because it was a new voice. It was a new rhythm. It was a new tempo and audiences ears weren't tuned to it yet. So it doesn't take away from the validity of the hilariousness that is Will Ferrell, but it does show you, don't go ahead doubting your book, you know, because the reaction isn't what you want it to be. The reaction isn't what you want it to be right now. Just assume this book is going to be the thing you want it to be and write your next book. Get excited and start to really look at what your next book is. Because you're going to be so mad that when this book does find its right agent and gets published, you're going to be so mad that you maybe spent a year bumming out about it when you could have been creating the next thing so that when your first book hits, your second book has a life and you're already on the tracks. I wholeheartedly believe you should have your own advice podcast because that advice was amazing. And clearly you're doing it all the time on the phone. Why not record it? Holler if you need some tips. But first, here's some advice from my mom. Thank you so much, Michaela, for your words of inspiration. And uh, you can do it. And don't take it too seriously. It's so helpful. And hello to you, recently rejected. I'm so sorry that you've had such a rough time. It's not been an easy, easy thing for you. In your question, you say, six months ago, I finished my first novel. Yay, me. And you also say that you wrote on weekends and during your time off for years. Did you give yourself a period of rest after you finished? After all, you're not just a workhorse. Obviously, you have great work ethic and self-discipline. So my question for you is, can you celebrate your accomplishment? There's nothing worse, I think, than having a power struggle within yourself. So it's the power struggle between, am I competent Or am I not competent? And that tug of war is making you kind of miserable. So maybe the simplest and best advice I can give you is to slow down and to lower your expectations. Simply because you're 
in your own head beating yourself up, that will squelch the creative process for sure. Even if it doesn't seem like it now, this will help you in the future. This is a really good time to bolster your support system. It can be professional people. It can be people in your social life. It can be, it could be, you know, I don't know how many people are going to church these days, but it could be joining a a church or any kind of social organization or volunteering. It doesn't matter what it is, just so that um, you do it with other real people out in the real world and keep your morale up. In my mind, that is the big challenge when you're learning something new and when you're trying to make a place for yourself in a big competitive world. So my third and final suggestion for you to do is to increase your physical activity. Doing something physical will help you feel better. So I have a story about a man who his job was really high-powered and very lucrative. He had an excellent job, and suddenly he lost it. He was laid off, but he realized that he wanted to do something physical. So he set about to build a house, and of course that requires a lot of physical work. He taught himself a lot of new skills, and he built that house. I believe that afterward he actually changed careers and went into the house building business. So each of these actions will enhance your personal life and will probably have a ripple effect on your career. So as usual, Rebecca, I'm looking forward to hearing any kind of uh, input or feedback you have for me. I think it's time for Mother Daughter Uh, Yeah, in fact, this question you gave me homework for. So I did my homework, I want you to know. Wow, you are a good student. I listen to mom's favorite podcast, The Savvy Psychologist, where mom listens to another psychologist and thinks, oh, good idea. (laughs) I love to learn new stuff. If you're interested, Dr. Ellen Hendrickson has researched the topic of perfectionism. The podcast is called Nine Hidden Signs of Perfectionism. In it, she says, Perfectionism is tricky. A tiny sprinkling can be good, but a generous helping is paralyzing and self-defeating. This podcast indeed made me realize if I am not all the symptoms, I have many of them. <laughs> oh. Oh. Was that an unhappy uh Discovery? A little bit. I mean, it sounds like this this listener is embracing the term perfectionist, but the strongest points of the episode to me was when she talks about how it's fine to aim high, but it's another thing to be paralyzed and consumed by the fear of making mistakes and the fear of being judged, which I think recently rejected as seeing the dark side of this perfectionism. Yes, but that in itself, that recognition and that reaching out to even ask the question, absolutely the hardest step and the first step toward healing. And I I love the idea of doing something physical. I think that's really, really empowering to learn something new as an accomplishment. And I love the example you gave of the guy who builds the house because 
he brings the power back into his life in a way that a corporation had kind of, it sounds like, kind of robbed him from his power. But that house was totally under his control. Absolutely. And I think that sense of control that you're talking about is so pivotal, especially uh, the, um, the career-building aspect. We need, to, we need to have control over certain things that affect our life directly. And that's not a bad thing. You gotta have that control over what affects your life. Mm-hmm. Here's our next question. This one comes from someone who is at the beginning of a long haul and already having itchy feet. Dear Mama B, I like a lot of variety in my life. Every time I take one of those personality tests, I'm always categorized as the entertainer. I'm a go-getter and I have lots of aspirations. I also get bored easily. A few years ago when I was still in school, I laid out a great number of goals to reach what I had determined was my final career destination in public health and nutrition. And over the last few years, I've kept myself really busy and super focused on accomplishing all those things undergrad, internship, grad school, work experience, and any extra certification I can do to bulk up my resume or put a letter behind my name. And here I am, a few years later, and I've completed every goal on that list, even landing what I deem to be my dream job as a community nutritionist. And I found that job to be too monotonous, and I left after a year. Now I work in a hospital. So far, I love it. It's more exciting and challenging. But when I think of this job as something I'll do for the rest of my life, that feels so daunting to me. So my question is, how do I stay motivated to stay in my career for the long haul? People say they work the same job for 15 to 20 years, and I just can't see that for myself, even though I love this work. It's hard for me to picture the long haul when I have a nagging feeling that this won't keep me satisfied forever. Sincerely, an entertainer not so easily entertained. So how can entertainer not so easily entertained stay motivated in her career for the long haul? Well, one of my favorite parts of collecting advice is when I read a listener question like this one, and I know that there is someone near and dear to me who can share some very special, very unique advice. So entertainer, not so easily entertained. To talk about the career path of your dreams, I'd like to introduce you to the man of my dreams. Greetings, entertainer, not so easily entertained. My name is Brian Garza, Rebecca's loving husband and first-time guest here on Advice for Mom. Or as I like to call it, advice from my (laughs) mother-in-law. I, uh... I too seem to be in the entertainer spectrum. At least, I find this result every time I take a workplace personality test. And I seem to take these like every other year, hoping that I've evolved into this other type. But no, it usually comes back to entertainer. Recently, I took a test um, that categorized people into either panthers, owls, peacocks, or dolphins. And, uh, well, guess which animal we align with? That's right, the peacock. So first off, kudos to achieving so much in such a short period of time. 
you obviously possess a lot of drive. Reading over your question, I really found myself interested in the comment that you made about getting bored easily. But before getting into that, I suppose I should divulge a little bit about myself for context. For most of my early years, I was a pretty content geek. I was pretty good at math and science, and I didn't live near school. And because of this, I had to ride my bicycle 12 miles each day. I didn't realize it at the time, but all that exercise really kept most of my wayward thoughts at bay, at least for my teenage years. I pursued a degree in mechanical engineering and industrial technology, while my brother, who was also quite the entertainer, studied nutrition. More on my brother later. A year or two into college, I found myself in a real crisis. There were very few entertainer personality types in the College of Engineering, or as I sometimes refer to them now, exuberance, eccentrics, egotisticals, extravagance, entrancing and enchanting peacocks. It got pretty rough for a while, to be honest, because I just didn't feel like I was on the right life path. After a few more years riddled with this anxiety, I stumbled across a rare breed of radical folks, college radio DJs. Now this gang really awoke an alter ego in me, the musician. For better or worse, all of my fears of where I should be and what I should be doing professionally just faded away simply because I found my people. So I eventually graduated. I found a job that was reasonably associated with my education and never looked back. I mean, I would put in a solid eight or 10 hours a day in the professional world. I was really proud of what I invested my time in and what I accomplished. But then after the workday was through, I would get home as fast as possible, clear my head with a nap, and then uh, put in another eight hours in that mysterious artistic realm. Outside of your ambitious career development, you didn't mention any of your pastimes outside of work. And for a person with a varied personality, I think it's really important to feed those other desires with healthy pursuits such as sports, the arts, or hobbies. Those other parts to your personality, they don't always make sense to reveal in your professional world. For example, there could be a rock star inside of you, but instead of making the time to write a rock album, you can end up singing karaoke with a bunch of goofballs. Granted, that kind of thing is fun to do from time to time, but the sense of life accomplishment doesn't come from karaoke in the same way as it does the arduous pursuit of writing and performing something unique to you and only you. Then again, if art and sports or hobbies, they aren't fulfilling, you can always try moving to another country. Maybe that sounds totally out of left field, but I actually have a lot of friends have done this. The challenge of learning a new language coupled with the wonder of observing a new culture and making a larger difference than you do maybe in your current environment can really keep a person motivated. From my professional resume, it might look like I continued on the predicted path, but hidden in that timeline was an opportunity several years into my professional career where I got a chance to get my side passion project, my band, a full-time try. I left my job for three months to go on tour. It was a scary, scary concept. I talked to my boss and said, this is just something I got to do. I know there's no guarantee to come back. And I just went for it. And then three months turned into six months. 
and then a year. And well, I didn't return until three years later after touring the United States and Europe and Canada and Mexico. And it was a true entertainer's experience. I made sure, though, all along the way to keep ties with folks from my professional world. And so upon returning to the Bay Area, I was literally able to jump right back into that very same job I had left before. Now, I'm not saying quit your job and take voice lessons, but I do want to use my story as a metaphor to express the level of intensity one can consider when pursuing other passions. Now, earlier I mentioned my brother. (laughs) Funny enough, he too studied nutrition. And along with his wife as well, both of them love to switch it up every couple years. They love to move and move again and move again. And other than having more frequent moving costs in their lives, I'm not convinced that there's anything wrong with this. When it comes time to reflect back on your life, some folks can say, I was an amazing dentist. I practiced for 40 years in my hometown. Others, more akin to your ever-changing desires, might just as well say, I mastered such a variety of different things. I didn't follow a linear career path, and by doing so, I had a fantastic go on this planet. Neither one of those paths is right or wrong. I say, go for the path that lets you fan out all of your feathers. Damn, Brian, either that advice was really good or I am madly in love with you. I'm really hoping it's both. And now, here's some advice for my mom. Brian, thanks so much for your advice. You are a wonderful son-in-law. And hello to you, entertainer not so easily entertained. Uh, For obvious reasons, I'll call you entertainer. Your words have reminded me about a client I had many years ago when I worked in Philadelphia. She used to say, the universe will show me the way. That client always amazed me. I was amazed by her confidence that everything would turn out fine. And she was right. I know that she's doing very, very well these days. So you've described yourself as high energy, a go-getter, and super focused. Boy, this description tells me that you also have a lot of confidence. That's a wonderful thing. And you say you're pleased with your current job, but that probably won't last. I think you were smart to choose healthcare because you'll always be able to find a job. Career choices in healthcare are very broad. So with all your wonderful credentials, I have a hunch that usually when you apply for a job, you will usually get that job. And so it won't be too hard for you to find a more challenging job or a different job whenever you would like to. So from all of that, I conclude that your career future appears to be very bright. But there's always a but, isn't there? Gee whiz. But you are feeling, in your words, daunted by the prospect of doing this or any job for the rest of your life. To that, I will say, that is impossible. 
There's no way that you will have this job for the rest of your life, guaranteed. So think about it. Being bored in a non-stimulating job, I think it most likely means that it's a sign of your high intelligence. Bright, smart people need a lot of stimulation. (laughs) And you also know clearly what kinds of boring, monotonous jobs you do not want. It's always helpful to know what you want and what you don't want. But maybe you're in the habit of thinking of a normal job or normal jobs as lasting 15, 20 years. Maybe people in your family have had jobs that are exactly like that, are long-term employment. But I'm saying to you, please accept the idea You don't want to stay in a job for a long time. That is perfectly legitimate and okay. You say, it's hard for me to picture the long haul. And maybe that's because your long haul will be very different. Maybe your long haul will be more like two or three years. I'm really glad that in your question, you brought up the what you call personality tests Uh, because it gives me a chance to tell our listeners about the Kiersey Temperament Sorter. So I went to Wikipedia. Wikipedia says the Temperament Sorter is a self-assessed personality questionnaire designed to help people better understand themselves and others. Of course, you can learn more uh, in our references. So you describe yourself as being categorized on these personality questionnaires as an entertainer. An entertainer is also called a performer artisan. Entertainers live in the fast lane usually. So entertainer, I'm not sure you need words of reassurance or encouragement from me. Uh, So let me just briefly say... For you, I believe the sky is the limit in terms of career choices. The world does need your talent to help solve some big problems. So, Rebecca, I would like to hear your pearls in response to my pearls, maybe. (laughs) That could only be the sound of one thing. It's time for Mother Daughter Pickleball. Pearls for pearls. <laughs> pearls before swine. There was a, a cool song. Do you know of it? No, huh? I know your best friend Wikipedia can probably tell us. Oh, I am attached to Wikipedia right now. But it'll change next week. Uh, well, before it does, we should start a segment called Mama Bee Reads Wikipedia to answer your questions. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, just forget Mama B. Just go to your Wikipedia. Well, I, I'm just, do you know how much myself and other, uh, other people my age went through to research topics back when I was doing my dissertation? Oh, my Lord. So Wikipedia is so wonderful. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, I actually, I think that actually gets at something that you're not saying in your answer. Okay. Which is, 
now is different than then. Absolutely. That's the definitely the big picture. That's something that entertainer needs to keep in mind. Those people that had those 15 to 20 years in uh, the same job, they were not living in the Wikipedia age. That's really right. Her temperament type is called an artisan or sometimes called a free spirit. And um, it's, it's not the most common temperament type. Really, mostly we're probably surrounded by uh, people who are called guardians. And what do those people do? They're much more likely to stay in a job for extended periods because they don't mind, they usually don't mind monotonous, repetitive work. They love to abide by the rules and they are very conscientious and dependable. Are those the people that you call shooters? No, anybody can be a shooter. And for our, our listeners who haven't heard Mama B talk about shooters, it's people who are always telling you what you should do. Yeah, and then we say, don't shoot on yourself. It's true. Anyways, I know you said, Mom, that being bored can be a sign of high intelligence. But I think being bored can also just be a sign that you're kind of junior in your field. Hmm. Hmm. Even mm-hmm. though she's gone through all this training, she's just starting her career. And that can be a really boring time. <laughs> Does she really need all of her wants and needs as a nutritionist to be fulfilled by one job? If she has a lot of energy, maybe she's the kind of person who goes out into the community in addition to working her hospital job and helps out people in a way that isn't focused on the money-making but is focused on the helping, which sounds like it's it's really the thing that's most important to her. Uh, yeah, but I think that what I know about healthcare is that it's a huge bureaucracy. It has a lot of vested interest in doing things the way they've always done been done. It's very much kind of stagnant. I hate to say it. You know, call a spade a spade and don't even try to hassle with it. Any big bureaucracy is going to be difficult to change. So I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying that I think different fields are different. Uh, so, But I know healthcare very well. I wanted to suggest that maybe this listener's long haul is not about a single job. It's about a theme through her career. Yes. Maybe the theme through her career could be helping people discover nutrition who didn't know they needed it. Only she knows what the theme could be. Maybe she should figure out what her long haul theme is and it can be something that carries her through multiple jobs, not so much about a long haul being a long slog of working one place for years and years. It's, uh, I think it's a good idea to pursue maybe a different temperament type. Maybe the idealist would be more likely to grasp onto the theme idea. Oh, okay. So it's since you know her temperament type, you can already tell me she's not going to like the idea. It's okay. You can tell me. You're reading her mind. Uh, entertainers and um, artisans are always surprising us. I mean, that's part of why they have such a lovely sense of humor is because they really see things. They see the world in a different way and uh, really knows how to work a crowd, too. So at parties, they're a hoot. And it's part of their charm. Mom, I think you should write the Wikipedia entry on Entertainer. Mm. I think you should stop reading it and start writing it. Flattery will get you everywhere, Rebecca. You've flattered this listener a lot, so it's a continual cycle of flattery (laughs) on the show. We give back what we get, eh? 
Hey. Hey. Um, That's uh, from Wisconsin talk. So, Rebecca, you know, the bottom line is you have a lot of the entertainer in you. No, come on. Get out of here. Just come on. Call call a spade a spade, okay? I'll call it a spade every day. (laughs) There you go, my entertainer. Uh, Yeah, it's true. Mm Mm-hmm. Time for our final question. I'm going to warn you, this long haul might sound a little bit familiar. Dear Mama B, I'm having a really busy summer. I'm the CEO of a startup, and we've been building our company for the past five years. But now is really make it or break it time. Before the end of the year, I need to raise the next several million dollars in investment to keep my company afloat. So the stakes are quite high. Also this summer, I'm getting married. My partner and I are planning a pretty elaborate destination wedding. So he and I haven't hit the easy button on that either. I know you like to say that the only requirement for a wedding is that it be transcendent. How do I make sure that I'm present and in the moment for both my wedding and my business? Beyond the wedding, I know that this is going to be a lifelong balance I need to strike. Sincerely, Bride with a Business. Well, Bride with a Business, it sounds like there's a fair bit of urgency here. So I'm going to fast track your question straight to Mama B. Here is some advice from my mom. Hello, Bride with a Business. Thanks for your question. Wow. You're raising big money for your business and you have a wedding. That's a lot. Both of your projects will call forth all your energies and talents and abilities and then some. In building a business, a startup especially, you're probably quite good at dealing with time pressures at least I hope you are, you're probably good at negotiating with other people. And you're probably good at decision-making and complex problem-solving. It's wonderful that you can face this double challenge with so many strengths and skills. So to answer your question, uh, first I want to talk about coping with time pressures, because I think that's an issue for all of us especially for me, I am sure that you have that skill of delegating that you have been using in your business for many years. And um, I totally approve and encourage you to use that skill as much as you can during the planning of the wedding. Of course, delegating can only take a person so far. I've learned that. Uh, Some things can't be delegated. All those things take skill to deal with, huh? Next, I'm going to read from your actual question, and you say, the only requirement is that it be transcendent. Initially, I was kind of confused by this part of your question because I couldn't remember what I had said about transcendence and getting married. 
But then uh, Rebecca reminded me about a wonderful book called uh, Broke Ass Bride. So that is Broke Ass Bride, as in uh, your tush is broken. Uh, it's, and the author says it in, in the following way, which I think is very well put. She says, I encourage you to examine ways you can infuse your wedding day with as much of you and your beloved's personal life story as much as possible, as much as comfortable, as much as affordable. So the real question, I believe, is how can I make the wedding special and meaningful So in this context, transcend can mean many things. It can mean to rise above your daily life, or it can mean to rise above time and tradition. So put your personal interests, your passions, your personality into the celebration. Of course, the important thing is to celebrate that you met someone that you want to marry. That alone tells me so much, and it tells me that you're totally on the right track. So let me share with you the most important thing that I learned from Brian and Rebecca's wedding event. Ground rule number one, don't fight with your siblings before, during, or after the wedding. So Rebecca, are you going to tease me about Things that I can predict or things that I can't predict? (laughs) I'm going to tease you about all of it, Mom. That's my girl. You can start right now and let's get it over with, okay? Let's play mother-daughter pickleball. You're just going to end on, like, don't fight with your siblings? (laughs) Why not? Bride with a Business has this stuff under control. I just get that sense. And, um, And that all those skills that... She used in building her business, especially a startup, um, are going to be very useful to her uh, in planning the wedding. So that's interesting. You're almost saying uh, use those skills that make you exceptional in business to plan an exceptional wedding. Nicely put. Mm -hmm. What do you think about her bringing her personality more into this big act that she has to do as a business owner of raising money? I think you have to gauge it uh, to your audience. I know here in conservative Pittsburgh, I really do come in contact with a whole range of different kinds of people, uh, certainly therapy-wise, and that's part of what I love. For uh, Bride with a Business... I don't know what type of a person she is, if she's gregarious. Um, Well, I can tell you, because this indeed is my exercise buddy, Ginny, that she is very gregarious. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Oh, sorry. Did I uh, remove anonymity? No, no. But, Rebecca, you have so many wonderful, amazing, marvelous friends and you talk about them so often. I, I, you know, I can't keep track of all of them. <laughs> Come on. Come well, I on. thought maybe having this one at the top of the show might uh, cue you into the little Easter egg that was this question. Um, well, maybe I'm just a little bit 
Uh, the Italian word is stunad. Uh, I don't know if you know that word. It uh -uh. means kind of out of it, kind of out of it. <laughs> Well, that actually leads to the uh, the second unusual thing I'd like to do with this question. I thought it might be kind of fun to have Mary Ginny give Engage Ginny advice oh, wow. so she can give advice to herself. You know what that is, Rebecca? Uh-oh. What is it? It's transcendent. <gasps> oh, my gosh. It's so meta. Yes, it's so meta. I, I like that word, meta. I was going to describe for everybody what that means, but it's just too abstract, I think, for this venue. Mom, our listeners are really smart. There is nothing too abstract for them. I knew that. Um, actually, Mom, I think maybe the one thing they don't know is um, this word uh, broke ass. Could you define it further? I mean, you said it means that the tush is broken, but what does that really mean? Um, just um, put it in the references and don't give me a hard time about that, okay? <laughs> I, I, I don't, uh, you know, broke tush, okay? Broken <laughs> tush. It means no money, babe. No money. Very little money, okay? Now are you going to move on to the next topic, please? <laughs> so I'm so anxious to hear her advice to herself. Siri, what day is it? It's Thursday, August 17th, 2017. <laughs> Siri, can you set an alarm for 8.15 a.m.? Okay, I set an alarm for 8.15 a.m. We got a CEO here with a schedule. This is Ginny, formerly known as Bride with a Business, now Wife with a Business. Woohoo! I know, right? Thank you, Mama B, for the advice. For as much as I've heard you on the podcast and in my head, it's really great to have your advice on this specific topic and something so intimate in my life. So what was it like balancing the needs of your business while being a bride? Uh, I, I cut off 40 hours before the wedding, just cut off all work stuff and had a last phone call that was pretty important. It was for a big opportunity. And to take that phone call, I literally was leaving all of the bridesmaids and the wedding party and the flower children that were all preparing and running over to a quiet place. And they were trying to experiment with, you know, different makeup for the days of or whatever. So I had um, a face that looked half done. <laughs> it was really funny. And I, I did not know that the call that I was supposed to be having was a video call. That is incredible symbolism. So you were literally with like this kind of dual face, your face <laughs> of your wedding and your face of your professional life was supposed to be in the same video chat. I had to, at that point, admit that there's no way I'm getting on a video because I'm in this, like, closet of a room with my face half made up because I'm, you know, I'm preparing for the wedding. This is the last phone call that I have. They thought it was really funny, which is great, but I need to let the reins go and just take a step back and just sort of be be there. So, Jenny, what did you learn this summer? Vulnerability is really powerful as a connector to everyone. I realized leading up to the wedding event, the part that caused me the most angst was thinking about being incredibly emotional in front of a large amount of people that I care about and respect. And that's something that's pretty foreign in my world. I practice quite a, quite a bit to be controlled in how I come across and 
for me to be able to share my emotional side and just be present in that moment, I was scared of it. I did it. I did it well. And when it came time for the wedding piece, it was just natural and it just happened and it was great. And I was present and I was engaged. And as soon as we landed in San Francisco after the honeymoon and, you know, got into the office, I just was back in the role. That gets into life beyond the wedding. Mm. So how do you strike this lifelong balance? Mm. That was that is your big question. Do you feel like you have any advice to your former self on that subject? Well, all I've been through is a wedding. We're just a few weeks into lifelong marriage. But now I'm realizing that I did go through this transitional experience and not everything on the business world and my everyday world can hold the same. And I need to create space for that transition and honor it and be patient with myself and just be a little bit more aware and conscious and do not waste any energy worrying. You know, just don't. It's not worth it. You got it. It's going to be perfect the way it's going to come out. Life is going to happen the way it's going to pan out. You can only control so many variables. And so when you need to kick into high gear, you just do it. So, Mama, to wrap up today's show, I thought we should give an update on our summer projects. Sounds like a good idea. And you brought a special guest to tell us how your summer project is going? I sure did. <laughs> you can just talk naturally. I feel like you're yelling. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to yell. <laughs> Mom, just talk normally. I'm just going to talk normally now. I brought Jerry along, my hubby. You want to say hi, Dad? Hi, Dad. <laughs> For those of you playing podcast bingo at home, you can now check Dad Joke off your bingo cards. <laughs> Hey, Papa, did you know that Mom and I made summer goals for the podcast and Mom's goal was to get back to normal life after your surgery? No, I probably didn't, although I, could, I should have suspected that, yep. But it's been a lot of hard work and a lot of patience. And now I'm to the point where I'm fully mobile, uh, but not 100% normal, just a little bit of a, a waiver on my walk and I'm just working on just some of the physical therapy parts. But it's working. That sounds like you're getting back to normal life. Well, I'm getting close. Getting close. What, what's been your favorite thing that you can do now that you couldn't do at the beginning of the summer? Sleep. <laughs> um, yeah, well, no, I mean, just, just even walking up and down steps was a bit of a chore. Now that's nothing. Yeah, we've gone out to dinner and a movie. Yeah, so we're doing good. Do you have any advice for listeners who are recovering from difficult medical situations or helping a loved one recover? You always want to do things faster and be, you know, get it get it done. And you need a lot of patience at times. Being a caregiver and having Daddy, uh, as he calls it, laid up for so many weeks. I really became very aware of what caregivers go through. And uh, I think it's a group of people who really need support. Papa, you are an inspiration. Can I give a quick update on my summer project? Yes, yes. Sure. So the musical project I have with my husband, Brian, called Love Jerks, 
officially played its first show. We got to play at a festival here in California, and we're talking to other California bookers about more shows. So we actually made a little video to show people what it looks like to attend a Love Jerks concert. Where? The video is on lovejerks.com, but I can send you guys a link. Great. And you get to see me play bass. Really? Yeah. That's what I used to play in our band when I wasn't playing saxophone. I would back up on bass. Yeah, I didn't know what notes I was playing, but I kept a nice beat, though. (laughs) (laughs) I'd say I'm about as good of a bass player as you were then. Yeah. Yeah. So, Papa, my goal for the summer was to get back to rock and roll, and I think I've done it. (laughs) You and Bruce Springsteen. (laughs) Yes, uh, Pod Gods, if you're listening, could you make my mom's dream concert bill come true? In big lights, Bruce Springsteen. In much smaller lights, her daughter's band, Love Jerks. (laughs) Hey, Mama, to wrap up this family gathering, do you want to tell listeners what kind of questions we're looking for for our next episode? We're looking for questions about families. And feelings. Feelings. And feelings? (laughs) Is Dad whispering feelings? Yep. Yeah, Dad, don't worry. All of our episodes talk about feelings. Right on, sister. Yeah, so this podcast depends on feelings almost as much as it depends on questions from our listeners. We are looking for all kinds of family questions. Moms, dads, sisters, brothers, in-laws, outlaws, step-parents, surprise parents, surprise kids, aunties that just won't go away. If you've got them, we are here with some advice. Well, mainly my mom is here with some advice. And she's really excited about this subject. I mean, family therapy is her specialty. This podcast can only be made with questions from you. So send them on in at advicefrom.mom. Advice from Mom is a production of Wise Ones Advice Services. It's produced by Juliet Heinley and me, Rebecca Garza-Bortman. Editing by Juliet Heinley. Mixing and mastering by Jake Young. Publicity by Jane Riccobono. Audio assistance by Brian Garza. The song that you hear throughout this episode is by Brian's band, Scissors for Lefty. It's called Rebel in Motion. And our theme music is a song called Little Less Lonesome by Love Jerks. And you'd never know it from listening to this podcast, but that song, Little Less Lonesome, it has words. And in the real song, they are sung by me. You can see and listen to some video proof of this fact by heading over to lovejerks.com. Special thanks to our guests for this episode, Michaela Watkins, Brian Garza, Jerome Bortman, and formerly a bride, now a wife with a business, Ginny. If you're feeling some warm fuzzies for Mama B, head over to Apple Podcasts and give her all the stars you've got. Also, if you write a review, I can promise you that not only will she read it, but she'll first print it out and then read it. Nothing like knowing you got a mom to print out your writing, right? Bad for the environment, good for your ego. So this wraps up our ninth episode. We are very excited about a special announcement for our 10th episode about families. So make sure to get in your questions. A-S-A-P. Can't wait to tell you all about what we're up to next month. Until then, remember, the only problems are the ones we can't talk about. You made me love you. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, what's next, kid? <laughs>